Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. So glad that you all came to see just me this morning. I am. Thank you so much uh, for uh, coming the day after Christmas and uh, joining us for worship this morning. I was reading a story about two old friends. They met up on the road the other day, and uh, one of the old friends looked at the other one and said, Man, you look sad today. Like, like, what's going on? And he said, Well, about three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he, but he left me $40,000. friend said, Man, well, that was nice of him. Man, like, I can understand you're sad. He goes, Just two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, my cousin that I never met died, and he left me $80,000. His friend's like, wow, that's even more money, and I can see why you're even more sad. He goes, and just last week, my grandmother died, and she left me a quarter of a million dollars. His friend said, man, I'm so, so sorry. I can see why you're sad. And his friend goes, well, that's, that's not all of it. He goes, well, well, why else are you sad? He goes, well, this week, I haven't received anything. Some people, what we have in life that we should have or what we should have is being content. And what perfect Sunday to preach this on the day after Christmas on being content, right? Um, being content with what we have and uh, the, where we are and the, in, in the places uh, that we have come to. So I was looking up content and what is the definition of content? And it says that, uh, the definition of content for one site said that state of mind which results from satisfaction with present conditions, that degree of satisfaction which holds the mind in peace, excluding complaint, impatience, or further desire. I believe content is something that none of us really ever achieve, but maybe late in life. Have you ever come across one of those individuals? well on into the years you know, that have experienced life as much as they can and they've finally come to a conclusion that they're content. I have what I have and that's all that I need. I got food, I got drink, I got a place to lay my head. I have all that I need. They have this aura about them of being content, right? It's, it's, it's amazing because when you sit around them, they don't talk about things that they want or things that they should have or things that they deserve or anything like that. They're content with what they have. And I believe a lot of us, we strive for that, but we really don't ever achieve that. Or if we do, like I said, it's late in life. But being content means that we should be satisfied in the, in the good times and also the bad times. The Bible has a lot to say about being content. Author of Hebrews 13, verse 5 says, Be satisfied with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. In Paul, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, But godliness with contentment is great gain. And he continues in verse 8 with, If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. Being content isn't just something that we are supposed to do. It isn't something that we should just want to do. It is a command. We are to be content. And we should be content. 
Because here we have an all-powerful God who has created us, who has loved us, who has seen after us, who's provided for our good, who has kept us going all these years, who said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. We should be happy with that. And so if you got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in there. We're going to be talking about Paul and what he had to, what he had to say to the church of Philippi there in these Philippians. And we're going to be reading uh, a whole section here because I think it's, it's, it's kind of one, one whole thought uh, process that's going through his mind. And so in, we're, in here, we're in chapter 4, Philippians. We're going to read 10 through 20. Verse 10 starts. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need... I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in this hardship, in my hardship. Verse 15, you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a statement by Paul. At this point, Paul is a prisoner. He is chained, shackled, to a Roman guard, probably in an apartment somewhere. His freedoms are restricted. He can't, he can't see whoever he wants to. He can't speak to whoever he wants to. He is waiting here to go on trial before Nero, possibly to face his execution. And yet he writes this. And as we can see, uh, he has received a gift, a gift, from, uh, a, a gift from the church to help support him. But in this time, he is completely without, literally the, only the clothes on his back. F.B. Meyer, a British preacher and author, he wrote this about Paul. And he said he was deprived of every comfort and cast as a lonely man on the shores of the great strange metropolis with every movement of his hand clanking a fetter and nothing before him but the lion's mouth or the sword. No matter which way Paul was turning, he was going to face some kind of trouble. Because either he was going to face it here before Nero, or, as, or if he was let go, there were people that, of course, was wanting him to stop preaching and teaching about Jesus. They wanted him to be quiet because he was going against all the things that they knew, all the ways that they had been living. He was going against those because he was preaching what Jesus had taught him. And yet, Paul here, knowing all this stuff, is, he says that, I am content I have learned to be content, no matter in the situation that he's in. He's in a situation, I'm good. I am good. And we got to even think about this because he said that he had learned to be content. He had learned these things. And if we go back even years prior to that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Paul here is giving testimony of what he himself had been through many years ago or all the way up until this time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, it says, Five times I received 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and without food and in danger among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches." Why does Paul say he has, that he is content because he has learned the secret? And so if we look at this and we're like, Paul, if you learn the secret, you've been through all this stuff, then what is the secret? And that's what all you are here for this morning is to learn that secret. So let's follow through with that. We live, and I think everybody can agree with me on this, we live in a very disconsent society. We live in a society that begs for more, more, and more. We are a society, I believe, that, is so, that we are so discontent, even though we have more, we are more discontented than deprived countries. And by that I mean like people that live in places where they struggle just to find clean water, where they just find, struggle just to find food. I believe that a lot of times we are more discontent than those people. And our needs cause this. And by needs, I mean those things that we want, but we have convinced ourselves that we need. Have you ever noticed that? I'll give you an example. Let's go back to my college days. Way back when. So I left home. Yes, I was one of those people that left home. So I went home, got a, got a dorm room, and had a roommate. Hmm. Roommates. Yeah, it was a struggle. Had a roommate. Ended up changing college, went, went to another town, got another roommate. Had a problem with him, too. Got rid of that roommate, got another roommate, had a problem with that roommate, too. Got rid of that roommate, got another roommate, had a problem with that roommate, too. Got another roommate. Which one of my own? Yes, I'm on those. Okay, each time I just said, I just need another roommate. I need another roommate because... I have problems with all these other rooms. They all got their own issues. What I wanted was to be left alone. <laughs> which caused my need, because I couldn't afford a place on my own, to have a place of my own. But it wasn't that there was any problem with them. The problem was with me. <laughs> Thank you for that encouragement there. I appreciate that. It is truth. But the problem wasn't a need that wasn't being met. It was a want, a desire. But I have but I have turned it into what I thought that I, that I needed. So, continues on, right? I finally got a place of my own. And then I took a job elsewhere. I moved. I ended up getting married. My wife and I, we were living in an apartment. And so we were sitting there and living in an apartment, and now, you know, I'm living with my wife. Everything's good, right? Well, now i got wall neighbors still. You know, those neighbors that make noises in those side of the rooms. You know, you can hear them running across the floor above you. You know, I, we need a house. 
We, we need a house. So finally, we got a house. Then what do we need? I only have enough stuff to furnish an apartment. I don't have enough stuff to furnish a house. We, gotta, we need to furnish this house. So now we need to furnish this house. Now I got a yard. Well, now no longer is anybody mowing the yard. I need to get a lawnmower to be able to mow the yard. And so our, my needs just kept getting more and more. As you can see, like what we wanted, we convinced I wanted what I wanted. I ended up convincing myself that's what I needed. And so that's what I continue on with. And it goes on and on and on. We can do this with so many different things within our life. We're also discontent society because I can see it every, every time that I listen to an advertisement or see a commercial on TV or something like that. How many, has any commercial in your life ever tried to convince you of something that you want? No. Their ultimate goal is to convince you that that is what you need. Because if you need something, if you are convinced that you are in need of something, you will do whatever it takes to meet that need. My poor mama. I convinced her when I was real young that I needed this little stuffed dog. And she went to I don't know how many places to try to get that for me for Christmas. And by the way, I named it Fred. But that's beside the point. But I needed that, and so she did whatever that she could to try to get that what I needed. You know, sometimes we go shopping, we go to like first Monday sales and over, over in Canton. People are like, are you going for something in particular? I just respond back, I'm going to go find out what I don't know I need. That's what I'm going to go shopping for. I'm going to go find that. Now, please, don't, don't misunderstand this. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. God blesses people with different things. God blesses people with all kinds of stuff. And there's nothing inherently wrong with all that. But what we need to figure out is, is that a want or is that a need? We need to be very careful of what we attach the word need to. Because when we can control what we can attach the word need to, we can control our desires, our wants, and whether we're content or not. Because if we're always needing things that we only want, we can become very discontent very quickly. So I want us to ask ourselves this morning, can I say in whatever state I am, I am content? Can I say that? No matter whatever state that I am, no matter good times or bad times, can I say whatever state that I am, I'm content? Paul did, you know, because he talked about having much and having little. It didn't matter to him. He was content. So if we can't say that, then how do we get there? Well, I'm so glad that you asked me that as well, because we're going to get to our first point here, which is believing in God's providence. Believing in God's providence. The word providence here. It has two, it, it comes from the root word provide, and provide has two, two parts to it. Pro, which from the Latin meaning forward or on behalf, and vide, Latin for see. Right? So when we break that down, we thus have a meaning of providence, which means to give sustenance or support. And then providence has come to mean the act of providing for or sustaining and governing the universe by God. Governing things. Making sure everything's working okay. God's providence. Now, see, God goes about getting things done in pretty much two kind of ways. One, miracles. Miracles are things that happen out of the ordinary. 
You know, life is going on in a certain way and certain things happen in a certain order and are defined by science and all these things. And then all of a sudden, just something that's completely crazy happens. We can look in the Bible and we can see this. We can see as Jesus and his disciples were, working, were walking down a the road, they come across a blind man. What did the disciples say? The disciples say, what, has, uh, what, call, what sins did this man's parents do to cause him to be blind? And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not why he's blind. It's for this moment right here. So what does he do? He spits in the ground. He takes it. He makes some mud. He puts it on, on, on the man's eyes and tells him to go wash off the mud. And what happens? He sees. This is a miracle. And this is not supposed to happen. These are things that, that, that just completely stopped the flow of everything that was going normal. And it happened. We can also see about the paralytic man. Remember the paralytic man? He was lowered down into the house. And he was brought before Jesus. He was laid out in front of him in paralytic, uh, his life. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, get your mat, get up, and walk in front of everybody. And what does the man do? He takes up his mat, gets up, and walk. This stuff doesn't happen. Right? There was also the feeding of the 5,000. That's just the 5,000 men. That's not including like the women and children that were there. And what, does, and, and what happens here? Jesus has been preaching and teaching all day. Everybody's hungry. They're all out there. There's no Uber. There's no DoorDash. They can't get this stuff delivered back then. And they're like, these people are hungry. Let's get them some food. Disciples like, we got nothing. We got two, all we got is two fish and five loaves. That's it. How are we going to feed these? And Jesus says, watch me. And he feeds them all. He feeds them all right there. That is a miracle. You had this little, then you fed everybody with it. Every time they reached in the basket, something else came, more came out. That's a miracle. We can also see when, uh, when uh, God parted the Red Sea, when he parted the Jordan River, when Elijah prayed for rain to come down. I mean, these were all miracles. When Hezekiah was cured, when Jonah was thrown into the sea because they were fearful and the sea calmed, these are miracles, and it's all throughout. And that's not unusual Today, we still see miracles. I mean, you see a person go in, and they have cancer, and they are given a short amount of time, and they're like, this, this is the end. They go in for another scan, and it's all gone. Those are miracles. There are miracles today when there's a horrific traffic accident, and, somebody, and one person in the middle of that thing just walks out completely unscathed. I mean, that's a miracle. Like, how, how does that happened when everything was so mangled and just busted up. I mean, these are miracles. And miracles happen, but they stop the normal flow of things to happen. So the second way that God goes about getting things done is by God's providence. Take for a moment and just think about all the things that it took for you to get here today. And I'm not just talking about what it took for you to get here this morning. What did it take for you to plan on getting here? What did it take to give you to be where you're at, to be here, to move in the place that you're at now, to be at the job that you're at now? What did it take for you to move to Little M? Where were you before Little M? Where were you before that, before that? Where were you born? Who are your parents? Okay, what all did it take for you to be here, right here, right now? God's providence. Now, my wife and I, we met many years ago. Well, this is going back to college. We met many years ago. Uh, I went into the laundromat of our apartment complex right there, and I saw her. I said, hey. She said, you're the one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's amazing how those things, like, work out there. 
But I mean, like, how did that happen? Like, at that moment in time, how did we come to a point where we met up at that particular moment, washing clothes, and, 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 and unfortunately my whites turned pink that day, but I was still washing clothes, and she happened to walk in, and I happened to be there, and we started a conversation. What all did it take? Growing up, I lived in different cities. I lived in different houses, did different things. Went to a different college to start with than the one that, that we met at. Uh, you know, my parents, they had to get together, and their parents had to get together, and their parents had to get together, and their parents had to get together. And it all came down to this one point where we met. It's God's providence. See, God's providence is about all these calculations that have to be done, bringing order to what seems like chaos to have everything come to a point of, I want this to happen, so I'm doing all these things to make it happen. This is God's providence. And when we understand God's providence, we believe in God's providence, then we can be content. So with God's providence, what we know is, and you're going to have to write these in there, is God knits everything together. This is what Paul's referring to here. When he's talking about knitting everything together, in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Now, when we read that, we got to see, we got to understand that it's been 10 years since the, the Philippians had sent him a gift. So it's been 10 years in his ministry. But he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. He's not angry here at them waiting so long to send the gift. He is thankful that they send the gift. But he's also saying, hey, there is a time and place that I'm supposed to receive this. And right now, right here, this is the time and place I'm supposed to receive it. God has worked things out for it to be right here. Now, the church of Philippi may have been saying, no, no, no. Like, we just didn't have the money. Or they had no idea where he was. It wasn't as if you can call him up at the time and say, hey, where are you? It wasn't like he got a phone call from prison to be able to tell him where, where he was. So they had to find him. Maybe they didn't know where he was. Not really sure, but... Paul's okay with it because he knows that right here, right now, is the time that I'm supposed to receive this. And Paul knows that God's timing is always best. Because what does Romans 8.28 says? It says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good of God. Right? How amazing is that? Do we truly believe that? That if everything is orchestrated by God, if we believe in the providence of God, then we truly believe that everything works according to his word. In verse 11, he says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content whatever circumstances I find myself. His needs are being met. He knows that whether he receives a gift from them or not, his needs are going to be met. His needs are already being met. He's I got some kind of food, some kind of water that they're giving him because they definitely want him to go before the emperor. 
And so they're giving him something there. But that's his basic need, and it's being met. And he's like, I want you to understand that I'm not doing what I am doing to get anything from you. I'm not doing this to receive any gifts. I'm not doing that at all. I'm doing this, I'm giving you thanks, and I'm doing this to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because Paul said, that's all that matters is proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And so whatever position that he was in, he wanted everybody to know that, hey, it's all good. God's timing is always best. You send me something that I need, and whether you send it or not, I'm grateful for it. So it brings up to our second point in, in, in God's providence. When we understand God's providence is we have to know that we, we need to be content and not apathetic. By apathetic, what does apathetic mean? It means basically you don't care or you're not showing any care. You're void of emotion. You're void of concern. You're void of, of interest in what's going on. Some people can take this to mean that, that if I believe in God's providence and everything's just going to work out, then everything's okay. If something bad happens, I don't care. I don't care. It, if a friend's hurt, I don't care. If I, get to do, uh, if, if I get to meet up with my family or not, I don't care. You know, that's apathetic is having that, that idea of I don't care because it doesn't matter. Being content, you do care. Being content, you absolutely should care. We need to work. And whether we're working for a job or a company or for ourselves, we need to work for that to provide for our family. But we also need to work to continue telling others about Jesus. We need to be content in that. We shouldn't have an attitude of, I don't care. Now, Paul's contentment, it stems from him knowing that all his efforts, all his struggles, all his defeats, all of life's struggles that he has come to to this point was in the effort of advancing the gospel. He worked at it, and he is passionate about it. In 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he says, For you remembered our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preach God's gospel. Paul was like, look, I'm not going to even bother you with asking for any kind of money or any of that. We don't want you to do that because at this time there was a big problem, just like there is now. There was a big problem of people just standing up there and saying, give, 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 give. Give me your money and I'll tell you about Jesus. Give me your money and I'll tell you how you can be saved. Give me your money and I'll tell you how you can live your best life. There was a lot of things that was going on in that time where people were charging people for this. And he wanted to know, I'm not doing it for that. Look, I will work day and night just so I can teach and preach the good news of Jesus. Just so I can teach others about Jesus. Tell them something that Jesus has done. I will work at it. I will do whatever it takes. And I do not want you to be distracted by anything else. And Paul didn't just say, oh, well, you know, what happens, happens. No, he pushed on. He continued on to advance the gospel. And that's the mindset that we need to have here, right here, right now. And you have come to this place this morning, whether you realize it or not, because of God's providence. Maybe you heard something, maybe you didn't. Maybe you think you didn't. But there is something in God's word 
that speaks to all of us. And at this time, I want you to, to understand what it means to have that. Not that attitude of, I don't care, but that attitude of, all right, God, I know I've been working towards this way, and this way's closed for me, but I'm okay because I know you're in control. What other way do you want me to go? Which way do you want me at? God, I've been in some bad spots lately, and, and, and God, it's, it's just hard. God's like, I know, but I have a plan for you. I'm working it out. Now, ask God to reveal that. And for those that, man, life's going good, be content. Praise God that's doing good. And I also want to say this about being content. For the past several weeks, Pastor Mark's been, uh, he finished up this last Sunday, but he had been preaching on the sermon series called Juicy Fruit, the fruits of the Spirit. What are they? Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you think that we can truly exhibit those fruits of the Spirit without being content? Maybe we need to do that first to understand that, God, you've given me enough. Maybe you've given me enough. I believe that being content starts with believing in God's promises. If we can grasp that, we are well on our way to learning to be content. The worship team's going to come out here. And we're going to have uh, prayer partners up here. And this morning, if you want to come and at the altar and, and pray, then I just ask that, that, that you do that this morning. Uh, and if there's somebody beside you, man, you want to pray for them maybe, grab them, pray for them, tell them, tell them that they look good today. Tell them that. Tell them that you're glad that they're here. And guys, just love one another. Be content in what you have. And believe in the power of the Almighty God who created you, who brought you here, right here, right now.